All right, turn with me over to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 29. The title of the message today is Mother's Day, Growing to Praise. Mother's Day, Growing to Praise. Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35. We're going to look at the life of Leah. Now the, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. Verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named him Levi. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. And then she stopped bearing. Lord help us as we study. Let me give you the backdrop. Leah happened to be the most fruitful wife of Jacob. Now, Jacob had two wives. It wasn't his choice. But culturally, it was permissible. But it was not his choice. And the other wife happened to be Leah's sister. Not, not a good plan. <laughs> really not a good plan. God remembered this and made a law in Leviticus 18.18. 18 and said, if you marry a woman, don't marry her sister too. Amen. Not a good idea. These two women fought for most of their lives. But it didn't have to be that way. And though they should have developed a character that allowed them to win together, rather than trying to compete against one another to see who would win, it was hard. It's just hard. Because their daddy didn't treat them right. Jacob wound up in an area called Padan, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of what we would call Lebanon slash Syria, maybe a little bit of Iraq, someplace in there. And the reason he wound up there rather than the promised land is because he had done some things that were unseemly to his brother. He had taken his, his birthright in that he had swindled it out of him when his brother was hungry. His brother came in from a, from a hunting trip unsuccessful. And Jacob was a keeper of flocks, so he always had some food next door. And so he was cooking some stew. And his brother Esau came in and said, I'm famished. I've been three days without food. I'm going to die if I don't have something to eat. Which wasn't true, but he felt like it. Jacob said, I'll give you some, some, give, give you some of my stew. He said, great. He said, just give me your birthright. Now, what brother does that to another brother when he's hungry? What is wrong with you, Jacob? Let me, let me get this. Your brother just wanted some food. You had some food. So you made him pay with his birthright? God, you talk about a dysfunctional family. Birthright was that which allowed the father to distribute inheritance in a double-portioned fashion. 
to the oldest, the eldest. And the one who was the eldest not only got an inheritance like everybody else, but he got another portion to help care for the parents in their aged years. And so he got a double portion. You took care of the father's business, and then you also got yours. This is why our receiving the Holy Spirit with respect to the new birth and the baptism in the Holy Spirit does exactly that. We get a double portion. We get a portion that allows us to, to be in the family and recognize our, our, our father and, and, and that we get to take a part in the inheritance that he has and we get another portion to carry on the father's business which is all about what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It's preaching the gospel to those who need it with power. So the, the firstborn got the double portion. That's why the church is called the church of the firstborn. Hebrews, anyway. <clears throat> Jacob took it from his brother. And then on top of that, when it came, came time for the father to distribute the blessing, and the blessing was that which the father would bestow upon each one of his kids in his, his latter years as he was coming to death's door to let them know what God had in store for them. Different than the financial blessing, it was his word upon them, not the inheritance. It was his word that contextualized their calling. And he realized, meaning Jacob, that his daddy Isaac loved Esau more than him. And so he was going to give Esau the greatest blessing. His mama knew that too. His mama set Jacob up to pretend like he was Esau. Now Esau was distinguished from Jacob even though they were twins. They were fraternal twins. And Esau, it says, came out hairy. Red fuzz all over him. Jacob was smooth. They had different personalities, different makeup, different everything. These two boys could not have been more different, though they occupied the same womb. They fought in the womb. Rebecca, mama, said, what is going on, God? I mean, they, they made her miss so many nights sleep that she had to pray. What is going on with these two boys? She said, God said, two nations are in your womb. The older will serve the younger. But, but Daddy Isaac loved Esau more. So Mama knew that Daddy Isaac was going to give Esau the blessing and Jacob was going to get the crumbs. So she, she made Jacob smell like Esau by putting goat skins around his neck and on his arms and feel like Esau. What kind of man was Esau? <laughs> Brother hadn't had a bath in weeks? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Isaac's eyes had gone. There were no glasses. And I understand what that's like. I take my glasses off. I can't see who you are. I have no idea. It's just shades of colors with no definition. That's the way Isaac was, not being able to distinguish in anybody from one another. So here comes Jacob into the tent. And he says, I'm here to receive my blessing. And, and Isaac says, is it Esau? It sounds like Jacob. Oh, no, it's Esau. He says, come close and let me feel you. Put him around his neck, felt the goat skin. What did Esau, who was Esau? <laughs> Gosh. And then he smelled him. He said, oh, like my son from the field. Cow, get some deodorant, boy. <laughs> and he gives him Esau's blessing. Esau comes in after Jacob has gotten the blessing. He says, dad, I'm here, I'm ready. He said, who are you? He said, I'm your son Esau. He said, and it says, Isaac began to tremble. 
He said, oh, your brother has deceived me and you, and he has received the blessing, and I cannot take it back. This made Esau so mad that it says the only thing that consoled him were thoughts of killing Jacob. Thus, Jacob looked at his mama, and his mama said, boy, you got to go. Time to go. Time to find a new house. Go up to my brother Laban and, and live with him until your brother's anger subsides. That would be 20 years. 20 years. He ran away to Laban. And he gets there. And uh, he's got only the clothes on his back because he couldn't have time to pack like he should. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm your nephew. And uh, Laban says, well, great. I need some help around here. You want to work? Absolutely. And then all of a sudden he sees Rachel. Rachel was top 10 model gorgeous. She was amazing. He says, Jacob, I, I, I want this woman for my wife, Laban. Could you, could, you, could you get? I want her. Laban says, oh, that's great. That's great. What, 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 what you got for me? Because it was a, it was a responsibility of the man who wanted a, a, another man's daughter for, for, for a wife to give the bride price, an amount of money commensurate to the value of, of the, the strata in society of the woman, as well as kind of a payback for everything the father had done to raise the child because the child was now going into another man's family line, taking another man's name. And so the man had to give money in order to secure her hand in, in marriage. It wasn't a payment as much as honor and an expression of worth. He says, I don't have anything, but I'll give you seven years of labor. Now, multiply your, your salary by seven. And that's what it cost him to marry Rachel. That's a serious engagement ring. <laughs> Some of the men are thinking, I don't know if any woman is worth... I'm just, I'm just saying, maybe I shouldn't say. I just shut up. That's what I need to do. At $40,000, that's two hundred eighty grand. Just for her hand in marriage. That, that's middle class in terms of financial remuneration. He said, okay, I'll pay it. Great. Got a deal. Seven years pass. Time for the wedding. And the weddings are done differently like, than, than, than we do weddings. We do weddings in a day. We have a wedding, then we have a reception, and folks go back home. Back then, weddings were a week long. And you would have six days of rejoicing with as much food as you could eat and as much wine as you could drink for six days. And then the wedding would happen on the seventh. And you would send out invitations a year in advance because people literally had to take a vacation to come be with you. Weddings were a big deal. And we see this kind of thing happening in the book of John, chapter 2, when Jesus and, Ma and Mary are at the wedding in Cana. And the man runs out of wine because maybe more people drunk more than they should. Or more people came. He didn't, he didn't, we don't know, but he ran out, and that was horrible. You don't, you don't run out of food and drink at the reception. That's bad. That's real bad. And even more so in Middle Eastern culture, that is, it, is, it is a slight to everybody else that you didn't plan for them well. And everybody would take great offense, so things were not good when this man ran out of the wine. And here's another Mother's Day message. Jesus and, and Mary were at this, and, and, and the man ran out of wine, the host. And uh, Mary came to Jesus and said, you know, um, they ran out of wine. 
Now, backdrop. This was in the same neighborhood that Jesus grew up in. Everybody in the area, from that area, came to this wedding probably. And all the people from that area, Nazareth, Cana, Capernaum, knew Mary. And they knew that she got pregnant before she was married. Can you imagine what it was like every gathering to which she went? The little gaggle of people over on the side saying, oh, there she go. Mm-hmm. She thinks she all that. Got her boy. He can, he can preach all right, but he ain't nothing because, I mean, like, she had him out of wedlock. And we know. We know. I know she talk about God and all that, but you know that don't happen. Mm-hmm. She thinks she all that. We know. We know. That's what it was like. So Mary just sees, they run her wine, and she comes to Jesus. She said, yeah, like, um, they ran out of wine. Jesus knows exactly what she's asking. He says, woman, it is not my time. He's not being derogatory. He's not being disrespectful. He's realizing that she is asking him to do a personal favor for her not for the ministry and that's not what he does we're not talking about a miracle of healing somebody being risen from the dead deaf ears opening we're talking about just could you, you know if you do a miracle um, they know that that only prophets can do miracles and prophets don't come from illegitimate birth I'm just saying they ran out of wine that's all I'm just letting you know they ran out of wine he said, it's not my time, but what does he do? He says, I'm going to shut all these people up because I love my mama. Go fill the pots with water, and they come back with wine, and everybody says, what happened? And the only people who know are the people who fill the water pots and the host. The guests don't know because they don't know he's run out of wine. They don't know. All of a sudden, they bring the wine out. They said, it's the best wine they've ever, ever had. In fact, the host now becomes the hero because everybody always served the, the, the best wine first and the worst wine last because people's taste buds were shot after six days. <laughs> it didn't matter what it tasted like. They just wanted the buzz. They tasted this wine. They said, he saved the best for last. Who is this host? And the first was good. Who is this? And Jesus just walks away. But now, the word's out. Uh Uh-oh. Mary, tell me that story again. All of a sudden, her reputation skyrocketed. Jesus loved his mama. That was a Mother's Day blessing for that woman. Here we have Jacob. Feast is going on, people drinking. And I mentioned the drinking because this, I think, has a lot to do with how we wound up here. Time for the wedding. Six days worth of alcohol. Everybody is significantly influenced. I mean, if they, if they had gone home, there would have been driving under the influence on a donkey kind of thing. <laughs> so now the wedding takes place. Back then, veils. Not the kind of veil that we have today where you could see through it. Completely covered. Completely covered. The woman could see out, but nobody could see in. Completely covered in form. They do all their nuptials. They say all the right things. Do the vows. 
They go into the nuptial chamber. They, the candles. And then Jacob, who hasn't done anything with anybody for 40 years, is excited. He's, wow. Somebody really got that one. There you go. There you go. Jacob's excited. <laughs> and he's thinking, let's get, let's get busy. Let's get it. Let's do this thing. And so he, he's not, he doesn't think anything's up. He thinks nothing's going on except what should go on. Out went the candles. Could consummate the marriage. He wakes up the next morning. And Laban has Jacobed Jacob. He wakes up to Leah, not Rachel. Oh, he is so mad. He cannot believe what has happened. He's worked seven, $280,000. It's non-refundable, y'all. It's non-refundable. $280,000. And I got Leah now. It's not that Leah was bad. Just compared to Rachel, there was no comparison. And that's not what he bargained for. And so he is hot. He runs to Laban's house and what have you done to me? He says, oh yeah, my bad, my bad. I, I forgot, I don't know how this slipped my mind. We have to marry off the elder sister before the younger and like, so Leah's older. But, got a deal, you give me another seven years of labor, I'll give you Rachel. Just spend the week with her and you can have Rachel, but you got to give me seven years of more labor. Laban, Jacob, Jacob, be careful what you sow. Be careful what you sow. Now, with respect to Leah, this was, this was her first cousin. It was okay to marry first cousins back then. In fact, you wanted to keep the money in the family. You wanted to keep the money in the family. So you tried to marry as close relative as possible. And remember, there, there was no dating back then. Dating is a relatively new phenomenon. Parents just hook folk up. They looked at equal strata and I like you, you like me. Let's see if we can make this thing happen with our kids. They want a relationship to be the order of the day. Falling in love was something that's, that was foreign to... It is foreign to about two-thirds of the world still. Stop reading your Harlequin novel. And don't believe Hollywood. Now, I understand we date today. I, I get all I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that everything about Scripture is more about growing in love than falling in love. I'll say it again. Everything about Scripture is more about growing in love than falling in love. Because after you fall in love, you do have to get up. Now, I'm not here to bust anybody's bubble with respect to your idea about what marriage ought to be if you're single. Or maybe you're engaged and all of a sudden you're thinking, what is he doing to my life? I just thought, wait, 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 wait. But listen, that thing that made you go, oh, oh. yeah, after, after you get married, you exhale, but it sounds like this. Huh. <laughs> 
just saying. I don't know anybody who has married anybody and has ever done again. Anybody. I've counseled a whole bunch of folk and I've never known anybody that went again. So the challenge is you have to grow in love. You marry Rachel, but you wake up to Leah. It's really happening over here. God is moving at this side of the sanctuary. You marry Rachel, but you wake up to Leah. You marry Jacob, but you wake up to Leon. Generally speaking, the person you married is not who you expect them to be. And now what are you going to do when your expectations aren't met? What are you going to do? Poor Leah. Poor Leah. This was her first cousin. She had a relationship with this guy as a, as a cousin. And back then there were no terms of cousins. That's a, that's a Western idea. There is no term in Hebrew or Greek for cousin. They're all called brother or sister. So the, the son of your mom's brother or sister was called your brother or sister. Or called your brother. Your other sister, daughter would be called your sister. There was no term called cousin. So this was like for seven years like her brother. And then daddy says... Sometime to Leah, listen, baby, we're going to make a switch. You're going to get married. And Leah, Leah said, you, oh, oh, daddy, no, not like this. I mean, daddy, I want to get married, but please, not like this. Because, like, I got to pretend like I'm Rachel for, like, 18 hours. And then when he wakes up, don't, please, daddy. Please don't make me do this. Can you imagine what morning light was like for Leah? Not just Jacob who was disappointed. The rejection she felt when he stormed out of the house mad. And she's thinking, I've got to live with this man for the rest of my life. I've got to live with him for the rest of my life. Oh God, how am I going to do this? He doesn't like me and he hates me even more now. She had no choice. She had no choice. And thus we get this story of her trying to figure out, how can I get him to love me? God, fix my marriage. It's just not working the way I ever thought. It's not what I dreamed. My expectations are shot. Lord, do something, please. Do something. Oh, she is shot. And God makes her fruitful. And the fruitfulness, she hopes, is going to lure her husband in. She says, first of all, okay, now I've had this boy, and, 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 and God has seen my affliction, and he's recognized that I'm un- unloved. So now, my husband, sure enough, he will love me, thinking that somehow the child, the fruitfulness, is going to be that which attracts his affection, and fruitfulness never does. It, it does attract attention, but it never attracts affection. The beauty about Leah's life is, again, she had six out of the 12 patriarchs of what we knew as the, now know as the nation of Israel. So fruitful. Amazingly fruitful. And hear me, spouses. 
man, woman, sometimes it's not about how happy you are, but how much fruit you produce for the kingdom. Because you can get happy in a lot of different versions of life. The reason you might be unhappy in your relationship is primarily because you can't get over the fact that Leon won't change. See, for men, we really don't get you women. We don't get you. It's not because you are so different bad. It's, so, it's because you're so complicated wonderful. And we're just dull. We can't figure it out. And, and we have to learn to speak woman. See, gentlemen, you've got to become bilingual. We have to learn to speak woman. I've, I've, I've learned to, to, to speak woman, and, and it's, I'm not fluent. I'm not fluent. It's kind of broken woman I speak. It just doesn't come out right. Too much testosterone is influencing my verbs. But it's even, I understand woman a little. Just, just a little. I tell my wife, I say, I understand the English you are speaking. I got the grammar, but I don't know what you're saying. I have no idea what you're saying. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again and again. Because I can't figure out what you are saying. Where does the spaghetti start? Just, just where, how, just, we're, we're trying to get to Miami from D.C., but we're going to Colorado first. Okay, I get it. Why? I'll go with you, I promise. I'll go, but why are we going to Colorado? I, I just, I don't understand it. I, I'm, I'm guilty, guilty. I'm just not smart enough. But, but with us men, it's not that you don't get it. You just can't believe we like it like this. <laughs> we're an easy read. We really are. We're not complicated. We're, we're, just, we're just dull. And you think, you like speaking in headlines. How was your day? Fine. You don't want to communicate anything else? Don't you want to say anything else about your day? No. <laughs> you like it like this. This is the way you want us to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> All the men say, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> Her expectations were very different about how life ought to go. She never wanted it to be like this. And there she is, fruitful. But it's not attracting her husband. And they, she doesn't know how in the world to get him to love her. But she recognizes that God is seen. And th this, we're going to go through her life a little bit. This is the basic elements of how people grow in God. That when they come into the kingdom, they think, Okay, God sees my situation. I really don't have to tell him. He, he's all-knowing, so just fix it. 
Fix it with the fruitfulness of my life. Make sure that he understands how I'm really benefiting him. And he needs to give me some attention. The Lord has seen my affliction. But that didn't work. Just being fruitful didn't attract Jacob. And so now she grows to the place where she says, The Lord has heard my cry. He's heard my situation. When she has her second born. And, and now, as a result, my husband will love me. He's, 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 sure enough, something will happen here. And, and the second born is not so much about trying to figure out how she can get her husband to love him, all, although she wants that. But the whole emphasis of the second child was that since he doesn't love me, I'm going to throw my, my life into just raising my kid and see if I can find significance there. She is trying to get defined by things that God has not prescribed to define anybody. She's trying to get things filled by things that have holes that don't fit the filling. She's trying to get her husband to love her. With the second one, she's saying, gosh, God has heard me. And, and here, she's crying out to him. Being heard means now she's growing at least to the place of prayer. She's communicating something. But she's not getting the answer she wants. And when God brings you to the place where he has made your life so difficult, then now you have to pray. And unfortunately, most of us have to get to the place where the only reason we are communicating with God is because life is hard. It's not that our blessings draw us to him, though I wish it were the case. It's our hard moments that press us and drive us to God because we have to say, Lord, fix this. I can't handle this. And now the Lord has seen, but it wasn't enough. She says, I'm crying out to you to fix my marriage. Do something. And she's at least communicating, but she's not getting the answer she wants. Why? Because God is not so interested to get you in prayer to hear what you got to say. Because you just don't communicate that well. And it's not like he doesn't know what you need. So what is prayer about? It's about changing you. So that you can now get in line with what he wants to do. Because his desire, his standard operating procedure is using humanity to express his will in the earth. And the more he can get you in line, the more he can do through you. And the best place for that to happen is a place of prayer. Leah, come this way. I may not answer what you desire, but I'm going to give you more than you need. I'm going to change you, make you better. This isn't what you planned, and I'm not co-signing your desire. But I am going to do something beyond your expectations to make you one of the most blessed people in all of human history. Listen to me. Come. She still didn't get it, though. And so the third baby, we don't even see a mention of God. The first one was the Lord has seen. The second one, the Lord has heard. Third one was... She conceived, had a son, and maybe now my husband will be attached to me. What she's saying is this. It's three to nothing. Three to nothing. You know three to nothing in in basketball means nothing. Three to nothing in hockey means game over. Game over. Three to nothing. Rachel, you don't have one. I got three, and not just three, three boys. Every man wanted boys, and if you could produce a bunch, boy, you were, you were a valuable wife. They didn't know then that the man determined the sex with the extra Y thing going on. <laughs> but they, she thought, it's three nothing. 
slam dunk. First quarter, game over. Game over. I win. Surely, he's seen how productive I have been. He's going to give me some attention. Didn't happen. He still, if you will, spent five days over with Rachel and two with her. Nothing about anything she's tried, whether it be acknowledging God, seeing her affliction, calling out to him, or distancing herself because of her disappointment. And when we don't get what we want, that's usually what we do. We say, God, I'm not happy. I don't like my life this way. And you haven't answered one question. You haven't answered any prayer I prayed. I don't know why I'm in this situation. Obviously, you're not going to speak to me, so I'm going to choose another path, my own. I ain't going to church no more. I'm not going to read my Bible no more. I'm not going to pray anymore. She just left God out of this birth, out of it. And I can't tell you how disappointed I have been in life. I have had more disappointments than answers to prayer, probably by three by three times, not three ordinance, three times. And my disappointment, rather than distancing me, has said, okay, now at least I know what not to ask for. I'm going to get better at this. I know what not to say, what not to do, what not to feel. I'm getting better and better at understanding your heart when I request. And the first 25 to 30 years were almost trial and error. And every once in a while, I'd land with, on, on the right spot. It'd be wonderful, but it was more the grace of God that put me there than me figuring it out. But the last five, I'm telling you what, I'm getting more answers easily to prayer because my prayer time is not about me asking for what I want. It's about, Lord, speak to me about what you desire and help me to pray that into my life. What does disappointment do to you? Does it drive you away? So that now the thing that you birth doesn't have God in the mention at all in your testimony. Whether it's the birthing of your career, the birthing of an idea, the birthing of a relationship, you figured out how you're going to do it on your own. And you're going to wrangle out some kind of will and then ask God to bless it later. God help you, please. The mercy is that he'll help you. But he's going to have more to help you with. And then lastly, finally, Leah gets to the right spot. Says she gives birth to a fourth son. And she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. Which time is going to be your time? Which time is going to be of this time for you? She had to wait maybe 10 years, maybe 15. We don't know how long it took to get her to baby four. But she had to wait all that time before she figured out, you know, I need to praise him no matter what my life is like. My marriage might not be what I want it to be. These kids didn't satisfy me like I thought they were going to. Nobody's super impressed but me that I had four boys. And, 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 and now she got, she got to the place of, of giving praise, which is great. And if you read on, though, she kind of backslid on baby six and seven. But we're going to, five and six, but we're going to stay here. And four and She praised. She praised. And mamas, I want you to know how grateful I am for all that you have done. You are amazing. All the sacrifice you have made for your children, you, you always put your kids and your husband first. Your career comes someplace down the line. I don't know where, if you have one. And some of you have made your entire career your family. You are amazing. But please understand that none of those people 
will ever fill the place that God has intended to fill in your life. No amount of fruitfulness, no amount of productivity, no amount of affection will ever scratch the itch God desired him to scratch only. So, let this day be your this time. Praise him. Don't wait until you have to go through the entire process of feeling like everything else didn't work out. This time, I will praise the Lord. And what's beautiful is when you praise him, thanksgiving comes out. And you become thankful for your life. Even though it may not be what you wanted, you may not be satisfied with what you got, you become content. You become content. And you find all the blessings for which you ought to be grateful rather than being mad about what you did not get. And you worship him. And then all of a sudden, those with whom you have been rivals, now you're not trying to compete against them about who gets surprised. Now you're trying to win with them. If she had come to this place and stayed here, she would have said, Jacob, don't come to my house, please. Let's see if God might do something for my sister because she desperately needs it. Those are the attitudes that change on the inside where it's no longer about you, but you are concerned about the will of God every place else. And when you get like that, it's amazing how God says, oh, this is about you. He gets all about you when you get about everybody else. Most of the answers to my life have come when they didn't matter anymore to me. Lord, I prayed about that six years ago. Don't need it now. Pass that. You said, I know, but you need it now. If I had given it to you then, you would have used it wrong. Now you need it. It's going to be used right now. Let's pray.